0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Very good. If you want to open your Bible with me, we're going to go to two main texts for today. Luke chapter 24 and Matthew 25. Luke 24, Matthew 25. Again, you can follow along the digital sermon card if you'd like. Um, that's on our website. It's also on our social media. It's also on version if you want to follow along with today's word. You know, it's been about 2,000 years since the church was born. And over 2,000 years, what you're going to do is you're going to gain some things like understanding and knowledge, but you're also going to lose some things. And oftentimes when you read scripture, you see practices that you are not practicing. And some of that is because of cultural context, but sometimes it's just because they've been lost. And I just had this conviction that there are some things that we've lost that could actually add a lot of life to our faith. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to go back and just dig them up. And I want to kind of warn you, it's kind of a pastoral warning. If you just happen to be someone here today that you're just kind of Christianity is just kind of this casual thing for me. I'm just kind of looking for a comfortable thing, a checklist. I want to tell you the next five Sundays are not going to be good for you. Uh, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be kind of a, like a 301 level series. And um, the reason being is because I have found that in order to find something, that takes effort. So if you want to have a richer faith, like you're in here today and you may say, you know, I have a frustrated faith right now. or I have this desire to reignite it, Pastor Craig. You're saying, man, there's got to be more than this. Then you're going to love this series. And this is not casual. This is not comfortable. But it causes us to move into a deeper place with God. And here's what I think you'll find. I think you'll find some new strength in some old ways. In fact, that's what I've titled today's message, New Strength in an Old Way. How do we discover, how do we possess, how do we find new strength in an old way? So, some time ago, years ago actually, I was on a fast, and I, oftentimes when I fast, I just say, okay, Lord, what book do you want me to study? In this particular fast, the Lord led me to the book of Acts. And so I kind of ferociously, with a great appetite, devoured the book of Acts. And in this particular time, the scripture started jumping off the page. I mean, literally just bam, bam. And as I'm reading through it, all of these scriptures had to do with the exact same thing. And that is how much the early church looked to, depended on, spoke about, and interacted with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a vital part of their lives. He was preeminent in everything they did. And the more I prayed, the more I read, the more I realized, next slide, what was really common among them is really uncommon for us today. When you look through the book of Acts and just honestly reading what is very common for the birthday of the church, what we call the apostolic age, that's the first 100 years of church life, right? Right? That age, some things were very common that are very uncommon for us. In fact, what I've realized, and this is very crucial, right, that you remove the Holy Spirit from Christianity and it quickly turns into a very dry, monotonous, monundane religion, okay? In fact, you'll, I put a little statement on the screen there. There is virtually no Christianity without the Holy Spirit. No Christianity. You remove the Holy Spirit from a church and what that church is going to do, it's going to morph quickly into a religious institution or it's going to morph into a social club. So the very crucial thing that we've got to understand on week number one of this series is we've got to understand that the Holy Spirit, first of all, is a person. He's a person. Are you with me? Because what happens is when you mention the Holy Spirit, I'm not just talking about Christians. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about leaders in the body of Christ. When you mention the word Christianity or you mention the Holy Spirit, they immediately go to the manifestations of the Spirit and deny personhood. So immediately we have been trained theologically, depending on our upbringing, our faith tradition, we begin trained to think of the manifestations of the Spirit, not the personhood of, those of the Spirit. So we've got to ask in week number one, is the Holy Spirit a person? Is he the third person of the Godhead or is he just a powerful influence that is very impersonal and kind of emanates from the Father, kind of like what we would say the spirit of democracy or we say the spirit of generosity. Do we think of that impersonal, vague reality of the spirit, the spirit of the spirit? Well, listen, if you see the Holy Spirit as just a powerful influence, you'll make some ridiculous statements like this. You know what? I'm a Holy Ghost person. I hear people say, well, it's a Holy Ghost church, a Holy Ghost congregation. Or people say, I want more of the Holy Spirit. But if you understand that the Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, you won't make statements like, I want more of the Holy Spirit. You'll make statements like, how can I give more of myself to Him? How can I surrender more to His authority? How can I surrender more to His Lordship in my life? And see, I think the problem stems back to how we view him. I've been in ministry over two decades now. If I had one dollar for every time I've heard the Holy Spirit referred to as an it, I would be a wealthy guy. But if you just simply look at the book of of, of Romans, look at Acts, Romans eight twenty seven says the spirit has a mind of his own. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has a will. According to 1 Corinthians 12 and 11, he has emotions, he comforts, he speaks. In fact, the Bible says he speaks clearly, he teaches. He can be grieved just like a person. He can be insulted just like a person. He can be, in, he can be resisted, he can be lied to. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5, he can be lied to as a person. He can be resisted. The problem goes back to where when, if, we were raised in church and some of you were raised in a kind of church with an atmosphere of Sunday school or Royal Rangers or Awanas or something and what happens is every time you say the Holy Spirit you just see the image of a dove or even your emoji on your phone you see the little flame and we use that often to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what happens is we begin to allow that impersonification that vague reality to cloud out his personhood okay he's not a dove Yes, the Bible does say in all four Gospels that it is baptism the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, right? But listen to me. A guy from Etowah High School can win the state championship in weightlifting and we say that dude is strong like an ox, but that doesn't make him a four-footed animal. That's called a simile, right? And we use that in literary devices, analysis. We we say the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. We're talking about the type of manifestation that the Spirit of God performed on on jesus he's just saying this is the way he descended on him but we realize the holy spirit is actually god listen to me the father is yahweh the son is yahweh the spirit is yahweh and yet there are not three yahweh's there's one yahweh such is the mystery of the trinity i will tell you trinity is more mysterious to me than any other christian doctrine incarnations a real close second one But if you really want to get engaging mentally, emotionally, theologically, the Trinity is remarkable, okay? By the way, if you follow along with Lead Talks, we start filming season three today, and it's all about the leadership of the ministry in life. So we're going to talk today about the whole historical faith creeds and tradition and how we've come to understand the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. But, But we realize the Spirit of God is God. So the Apostle Paul comes to the Corinthian church and he starts telling us, He writes these letters about how to live the Christian life effectively. He comes to the end of his second correspondence, what we call 2 Corinthians 13, the last verse. He's not going to say anything else to the Corinthians. And he says this word. He said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship... Now what he's doing here is he's highlighting each of the three persons in the Godhead, their distinct role. So if you want to know each person's role primarily... He says, may the grace of Lord Jesus, that's the primary dispenser of grace, is the Spirit of God, what we call the Eternal Son. The Eternal Son's not distinct from Jesus, but He was at one time because the Eternal Son hadn't yet taken on sinful flesh, right? And He became the Son. Jesus is the divine Eternal Son. We talk about the Father. He says, the love of the Father... See, the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. If you've heard the gospel presented like Jesus wants to save you, but the Father's all full of wrath and he doesn't want to save you, false representation of the gospel. The Father's love is what enables Jesus to do what Jesus does. The Father's in the Son reconciling the world to himself. And then thirdly, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's the word communion, or in Greek we call it koinonia. May the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now, there's three definitions for that word koinonia. Paul is saying, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God wants to work with you as his partner. Or may the intimacy of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's his prayer. Now, look what Jesus says before He ascends to the Father, before He's enthroned and the earth becomes His footstool. Luke 24, verse 49. He says to the disciples, post-resurrection, Behold, I send the promise of my Father. You've got to understand the gift of ministry of the Spirit first is a promise of the Father. That's why the Holy Spirit couldn't be poured out until the day of Pentecost when the Son had sat down next to the Father. Because the Spirit is to what? It's to exalt the risen Jesus who's been glorified, not to exalt man. See, once the son sat down, then the promise could be handed to the son. Then the son distributed the the promise, which is the Holy Spirit, to children, to the church. They've received it. And notice what he said. I send the promise of my Father upon you, but what's this next word? But tarry. Tarry. Notice that. In the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Today I want to talk to you about the art of tarrying. How do we find strength, new strength in an old way? Now, I realize we don't use the word Terry anymore, so let me explain this to get us started. When Meredith and I were dating, we lived not far from one another, but the lifeline of our relationship was our phone. Now, by, when I say phone, I don't mean what you think of when you think of phone, okay? This is at a time when FaceTime didn't exist, texting wasn't a thing, very few people had cell phones, and the phone that Meredith and I spent hours talking to each night had a cord, and it connected to the wall, Okay? And so you couldn't get any further than what the cord would allow you to get unless you got the little separate remote place, right? The one that kind of wireless, that was awesome. We spent hours talking to each other on a cord and it was hooked to the wall, okay? Kinda, it was, I was actually so antiquated that I had to go to a gas station called the Golden Gallon, which used to be previous to BP. That's what they called them. I'd have to get a card, and that card phone card would give me a code to call someone long distance, okay? That's the only way i call somebody. I had Cricut. Cricut didn't even. Ha- you didn't even have to put in 423, which is the area code, because you could only call people from 423. And so you had to wait till nine o'clock to get free minutes, somebody called you 857, you answered and say, hey, call me back in about 190 seconds, okay? I got you then. And and some of y'all hear that and you're like, dude, he he grew up with Alexander Graham Bell. Okay, no, I didn't grow up with Alexander. This is just early 2000s, okay? And so this is what we did. So what we would do is um, we would get on the phone and we would do this night after night. And I mean, we would ask each other questions. We would share experiences. But then we got to a place where we didn't have any more words. So we would just listen to each other breathe. And it was finally, hours later, time to get off the phone because the sun was coming up. And I'd say to Meredith, I'll call you, baby. I love you so much. I'll call you in just a little bit. And then I would, wouldn't hang up. And she'd say, you going to hang up? And I said, no, you going to hang up? No, you got to hang up. No, you got to And so we'd spend another 30 minutes listening to more breath. I use that as an illustration to say this. There got to be a place in Meredith Ann Robertson's life and Jonathan Craig Mosgrove's life where it was no longer just about exchanging information. We got to the place where we just enjoyed each other's presence. And we didn't call it that, but we enjoyed tarrying with each other. If you want to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ, you have to get to a point where your faith moves from a transactional faith that says, I do this and I get this. You move to a place where you say, I and transformed by the reality that I just want to know him. I wanna tarry before him. Like it's not just about exchanging ideas anymore, it's no longer just about sharing how I feel or covering my prayer list, I wanna know him. And I'm willing to stay longer in the biblical text just because I wanna know his character. I'm willing to stay longer in worship just because I enjoy his presence. I'm willing to stay longer in prayer. I know I've covered the normal time I spend before the Lord but I'm willing to stay longer because there's just this place that I've gotten to where I say I wanna linger, I wanna remain in his presence. Y'all there is a place you should have your 15 minutes of prayer before you go into a meeting. There is a place you should have your 30 minutes of prayer to start your day. But there's also a place in the Christian life where you take off your watch and you put your phone away and you say, it's not about how much time, I just want to be with you, God. I want to tarry with you. I want to spend time in your presence. See, that's a problem for us because we have a mindset of get in and get out. Come on, I'm going to get in with God, get what I need. And what we've done in doing this is we've lost an incredible amount of power in the kingdom of God. See, the working of God, listen to me, in us comes through our ability to tarry with him. I want you to see it. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this story. Now, let me just say, Matthew 25 comes after Matthew 24. Do you know that? Matthew 24, the disciples come to Jesus and say, what will be the signs of the end time? So he gives them the signs. We've done many series on this. You need to know that because now Matthew 25, he's saying those are the signs that accompany the world before I come back. But Let me give you the sign that will accompany the church before I come back. So Matthew 25 is now, these are the signs that are going to be among God's people before the Lord comes back. Matthew chapter 25 gives this difficult analogy. I'm going to try to help you. Matthew 25 verse 1, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now let me say, this is like no wedding you've ever been to. There are 10 bridesmaids who are potential brides. They're waiting on a bridegroom, which is the groom, and he's going to come, and he's going to, through a process of ceremonies, he's going to select one of them to come as bride. So this is less like a wedding you've attended and more like a reality show, okay? This is like original Bachelor, okay? Matthew chapter 25. And so they're kind of preparing for this moment. There's 10 of them, and they're preparing for the groom to come. Now, It says of these five bridesmaids were foolish and five of them were wise. Well, why is that? Well, the foolish ones didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps to keep burning. But the other five had enough olive oil. You see, when the bridegroom was delayed, it meant he was gonna be late, so they all became sleepy about 10 o'clock. And they were young moms and they were drowsy and felt, and they weren't, they were actually bridesmaid virgins. And they fall asleep and at midnight, they were aroused with a shout and they said, hey, the bridegroom's coming. And so this process got started. Get your lamp out, come on, head out. But notice what happens in verse seven. It says all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are gonna go out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to Walmart and buy your own oil. But while they went off to Walmart and Target to buy the oil, the Bible says those who were ready, the bridegroom shows up, the ceremony starts. Those who were ready, five wise ones went into the marriage feast. They went into the next level with the groom. The door was locked. The later, the five who didn't have enough oil who went to Walmart, they stood outside knocking on the door saying, Hey, can we still get in? And Jesus said, No. You have to allow the weight of this story to fall on your heart. No, you're not getting in with me. Foolish. No oil. No waiting. Now here's what's interesting. Real interesting. There's a lot here, but I ultimately want you to see that 10 people want the exact same thing. They're dressed the same. Their aim was the same. Everything about them was to know the groom, and it's a daily reminder for us is that though we can all be followers of Christ, we're not all having the same experience of Christ. Based on how you live is gonna determine that. Listen, there are people who follow Christ that experience more of Christ than other people who are also following Christ. And the whole split in these two groups boils down to one thing, oil. Those who have oil are rested. Those without oil are in anxiety. Those with oil are expected in faith. Those without oil are anguish and concern of loss. Those with oil experience a greater level of fellowship and intimacy with the groom. Those without oil miss the whole thing and are locked outside the door. Now here's the key to understanding this. In Scripture, oil is a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now watch this, watch this. Because Jesus is presented in Scripture as a groom, watch this. Oil determined if they knew the groom. The Holy Spirit determines if we know Jesus. So so watch this. It's the Holy Spirit who showed you you needed Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who illuminated you that you are now a follower of Christ. You can only worship Christ through the work of His Spirit. Your character only becomes like Jesus once the Holy Spirit comes. The gifts that are working like Jesus are based in the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus actually returns, the Bible says the only way He'll know you're His is not because you say, I'm yours. It's by the marking of the Holy Spirit he puts in your life. So watch this, in the same way oil provided their relationship with the groom, the Holy Spirit provides our relationship with Jesus. Now this is where it gets really interesting because though every follower of Christ has the Holy Spirit, there is a differentiation of his work in each follower's life. And here's what it boils down to. Five brides missed out because they didn't take the time To prepare and get enough oil. And five brides experienced the groom because they took enough time to get enough oil. You know what the cost of oil is? Time. You know what the container of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is? Time. The time you give him gives him the space to work in your life. That's why Isaiah 40 says, Those who wait on the Lord, those who give him time... He will what? Renew their strength. We give Him time to gain His working and His power in our lives. Now y'all, this is not just for us. This is literally also in the working of Jesus. Jesus lived in a pattern. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, He had a 3 pattern of preaching, teaching, and healing. But what's interesting about His preaching, teaching, and healing, it went through what we call rhythms of grace. Here's the pattern. He would retreat in His time with the Father, go off by Himself. He would get supercharged. He would get filled with the Spirit. And then He would come back. And he would reappear among a group of people, and from that time he would release his power. I'm gonna give you a few examples. Let me show you, says the Bible, before a miracle was ever done, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan after the baptism. He didn't go in and he and pray for sick people. The Bible says he went to the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and forty nights. He spent time with his father, he retreated with his father. The Bible says in Luke, when he reappeared among the people, the miracles began. Why? Because he reappeared and released power. After John the Baptist, his cousin was killed. The Bible says he had to retreat because he he had so much grief about his cousin who recognized him in the womb and he goes and retreats to the father and when he reappears there's 5,000 people who are hungry and he released power from that by feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes from that moment he retreats back to himself on the hillside to spend time with his father his disciples go out on a lake and he reappeared walking on water in the middle of the storm why displaying his ability over power things things that take us under when after a long ministry trip he treated onto a mountain called the mountain of transfiguration Luke 18 the disciples are at the foot of the mountain, not retreating like Jesus does, they're waiting on Jesus. During the retreat, a sick boy shows up at the base of the mountain, and they ask for prayer. No disciple can deliver the demon. No disciple can get the man sick, who's sick now, healthy and whole. Jesus has to come off the retreat of the power, and he releases power, and the boy is healed. After the last supper, Jesus retreats to the garden of Gethsemane. He has time with his father, but he invites the few disciples to retreat as well. They don't, they sleep, and instead of retreating, they sleep, and then what happens? The Bible says they went to sleep, and then what happens is they reappear. Before the Pharisees and Jesus has the power to stand. He has the power to go to the cross. He ultimately releases resurrection power. But because they slept instead of retreating, they had no power and they fell in fear and they ran away from Jesus in his hour. Listen to me, next slide. Jesus had all of the Father's power because the Father had all of Jesus' time. It's time. It's time. It's time with the Holy Spirit. It is time spent in communion. It is time spent in fellowship with the Lord. This is not by works, by the way. This is relationship. Listen, it's not I spend two hours, I get a new car. It's about relationship. How many of you have an elementary school best friend? You had an elementary school best friend. Show your hand. How many of you talked to that person in the last three days? A few of you? How come? How come? Those who didn't, because you stopped dispensing time into that relationship. Listen to me, relationships flourish when they get time. Relationships disintegrate when they have no time. But The problem is we don't consider that in our relationship with God. We're just a microwaved, express lane, fast-clicking, binge-watching people. We are a microwave generation who serves a crock-pot God. We're watching people. We're engaging people. And what happens is we take that mindset into our relationship with God. And I just want to say to you, listen to me, there is no express lane in the spirit of God. There's no express lane. Listen to me, there is no zap. I got bad news for you. There's no zap you can get on a Sunday that's going to accelerate that time. There's no zap you can get to get godly character. Boy, if I could just pray for people to make godly decisions and lay hands on them, we'd be a f- whole lot further than we are right now. If I could control people, manipulate people by zapping them and the decisions they make, boy, we would be, we would be advanced. But that's not what happens. It takes time. It takes the ability to come before God. Listen, time is where he crafts your character. Time is where an addiction is broken. Listen, time ain't, addiction ain't broken at one moment and one time. It's very rarely, folks. If I were to take 20 years of pastoring, it's like 000008 percent Can God do it? Of course. It is time that you have to give him. Time is where he turns you into the husband you need to be. Time is where he turns you into the parent you need to be to give you the grace you need to have for those. Time is what is how you get the wisdom them that you don't have to run this business that you don't how to know how to run. You give him time and he works through your life, but you restrict your time and you restrict his power in your life. And so, listen to me. This story is really stark when you consider this is not about knowledge. It's not about what these women know, it's not about how much money they have. The whole thing is split on time. Now, that tells us a couple of things. Let me give you three real quick. First and foremost, God's power cannot be borrowed. I can't loan my relationship with God to another person. I can't give it to my wife. I can't give it to my kids. I have my relationship with God that cannot be loaned to the people around me. I can't borrow it. That's what they tried to do. They tried to borrow oil. You can't borrow oil from somebody else when you've been foolish. You can't borrow somebody else's relationship. You have to have your own relationship with him. Now listen, I know we say things in sermons like, You know God needs your worship, and God needs your money, and God needs your time. Let me just be clear. God doesn't need anything. God has no needs. He's got it all contained in Himself. God doesn't need your money. He owns your money. You just don't know He owns your money yet, but you will know He owns your money when you die. God doesn't need your work, right? God doesn't need your worship. As a matter of fact, before humanity even existed, the Bible says that angels have been crying non-stop for eons. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The Bible says that the rocks and trees, we don't have their frequency, but right out here on Londonderry, right in front of our building, the rocks and trees are having their little worship service while we're we're in here right now. Listen, God doesn't need your worship. God wants you. You exist because God wanted to have one of you. It's why you're breathing. It's why you live. It's why you have an existence. God literally died to spend time with you. Do you think he's going to let you borrow someone else's relationship after paying that price? Do you think he's going to bleed out for you and then let you borrow somebody else's? He wants you. He wants relationship with you. He wants communion with you. He wants fellowship with you. Here's the second thing that story teaches us is that God's power can't be substituted. It doesn't say they ran out and then went and got their RailVac flashlights and used flashlights instead of oil lamps. RailVac, y'all remember those? Those things never work. You gotta go to mag lights. You can't go, you, you can't give your mag light, you can't get a mag light when your oil's out. Now listen to me. These other five, these five foolish women, they're in the dark. And I know it don't feel this way. Listen to me, though. You've got to hear me today. I know it don't feel this way because you're talented and you're competent and you've been holding a job, but I'm just telling you, you are dark without the work of the Holy Spirit. And you are in the dark. There are no substitutes to that. And when we choose to wait on Him, it communicates a value. Like when you wait on somebody, it's saying, hey, you're valuable. I've spent years, y'all, waiting on Meredith. We've been married 16 years. You know how many hours that adds up? Right? In terms of getting dressed and then waiting. But listen, boy, she's worth it. When she comes walking down those steps, she is worth it. Listen to me. If you're in this culture that offers celebrity and opportunity and satisfaction and strategy, and you say, no, I'm going to wait on the Lord. It communicates immensely that he's the only one that has peace. He's the only one that offers joy. He's the only one that can satisfy my soul. He's worth the wait. Listen to me. When you get marked by God, you don't have to be marketed by man. When you start getting to a place where you wait on God and you trust in God and lean into God and say, God, I want only what you can bring to my life, it should be encouraging to us because, listen to me, it's really, really, God's power needs to be replenished. Needs to be replenished. This is the last one. I hate to be the one that breaks it to you, but I might as well do it. You leak. You leak, I leak. I leak. Our flesh, our struggles, people at work, they just nick us and we leak out the character of God. By the way, that's the reason you're so godly by the beginning of the day after you've had prayer, and by the end of the day, you don't look anything like God, and you are biting everybody in the house. Okay? By that time 7:30, especially in the parenting years, it's like, get out of my face, I will whip everything that's to my left and right right now. Okay? and you, by the end of the day, you've leaked, you've leaked, people say, I'm so bad. see, I always say this is encouraging because it's like, I'm so bad, I'm just not good at this Christian thing, I'm angry and I'm stressed and I'm lashing out at people. No, 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 you're not a bad person, you're an empty person. You've leaked all day long, you're empty. You just need to refill God's character and boy, I got some good gospel news for us at Dwelling Place this morning. You ready for it? Philippians 1.19 says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply. Everybody say the supply. The supply of the spirit. Boy, it's encouraging. Yeah, you leak, but he has an ever-flowing supply. It's the picture in the Greek of a, of a performance that runs out of funding in the Greek. Let me explain it this week. In the ancient Greece, they would have these big theatrical performances that cast and a crew and a director, and they would travel from town to town. Think of the you know the circus, and they would do these performances for entertainment, but this is a picture of a performance that gets to a town, and it doesn't have any more funding. Well, no more funding means no more performancing, but then all of a sudden, on the night, of their performance. The wealthy benefactor shows up and pays for everything to restart. So it's a performance that's come to an emptiness, but a supply that comes in and gets the performance right back to where it needs to keep on moving. Here's what that means for your life this morning. When you run out of patience for your kids, there is a wealthy benefactor in the Holy Spirit who has all the patience you'll ever need for your kids. When you run out of grace for your spouse and you look at them, you don't feel anything, your heart's hardened to them, you don't want to talk to them, you're mad at them, you're always angry to them, If you'll go to the wealthy benefactor of the Holy Spirit, he has more than enough grace for your spouse in that situation. When you run out of wisdom for this job and you don't know how to move the accounts forward and I don't know what in the world I should do, you have a wealthy benefactor in the Holy Spirit and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ where he knows how to move every one of those accounts forward. Listen, you leak, but listen to me. He has an endless supply to get you back to exactly where you need to be if you give him the Time, time. Y'all, I think this is so needed. I think this is where so many of you live, and I just sensed this in my prayer. You're reading the Bible Rooting plan. You're in a connect group. You're doing 15 minutes of prayer, and it's not producing the results, and it's because you need to learn the art of tearing. And so, what I want to do today, for I want to give us three practical things that you have to do if you want a new vibrancy in your faith. I'd suggest you write them down. You want to write them down there of course virtually for you. Here's the first thing you want to do if you want to, tear. You've got to create space and control your soul. Create space and control your soul. In the early 20th century, there was a devout Hindu who was living in India, who Jesus came to him in a dream and he converted to Christianity. He left all the Hindi ways and he actually went into ministry in Mumbai and he would host tens of thousands of people who would come to hear him preach and teach the Bible. And He'd pray for people and miracles took place in his life. Powerful. God's power released what happens when God's power gets released on somebody? They start receiving notoriety, don't they? He received notoriety and when he did, they invited him to come to the United States. So he came and he was gonna preach and teach and pray for people. So in 1920, y'all, 1920, he gets on a boat and he leaves India to come to the United States of America. It took him 32 days on this boat to get to New York. He gets to New York, he walks off the boat and the story goes, he walks out and spends 30 minutes on the streets of New York City and he comes back He calls his host and cancels every one of his American appointments. He gets back on the boat and goes back to India after 30 minutes. He had just been on it for 32 days. Why? When they asked him, here's what he said. These people in America are much too busy to receive what God has for them. That was in 1920. 2023 20, 103 years later what would he say they're too busy to receive they're frenetic their hearts are being violenced by hurry they're destroyed for their inability to sit y'all you know, this is a truth every person in this room you're hearing me today and you're saying well whether said or unsaid i'd love to do that pastor craig but i'm so busy And you are busy with some necessary things, but I also propose to you, you're busy with some unnecessary things. So I put off the average American list and the way they spend their time. Some of the way they spend their time. Maybe this is you. You ready? First, an average American spends one hour per day grooming. Can I just say, I want to say about this, I feel like we should be getting more for bang for our buck on this one, okay? For most people I see, I don't see a one-hour kind of result, okay? I'll be honest with you. I'm seeing like, I'm seeing 10 minutes or less kind of result, okay? So, so one, we should be getting more bang for our buck on this one-hour day. So, one hour a day, Americans are spending on grooming, okay? That's, that's, again, just telling you what this says. okay? Average American spends 1.5 hours a day eating. Y'all, I spend like 1.5 minutes eating all three meals, you know, like, this, is, this must be Harper. She bites at a nibble pace. I can't even get a small enough bite like my 42 pound six year old gets to bite. Okay, I cannot. It's like Harper, I'm going to have more. My hair is going to grow, but I'm going to have to call Casey and get another haircut by the time we finish dinner, right? Like Harper is just an hour and a half eating dinner. Again, this is average. The average American spends one hour a day texting. So that's just the actual texting, not reading, that's texting. The average American spends two hours a day walking or playing with their pet. The average American spends two and a half hours a day on social media. That is a low, it's a lie. I don't know where they did this. They must have done this in Podungville. The average American spends five hours a day watching television or searching the internet. Y'all, that's a total of 13 hours. Here's my question. When do you people work? <laughs> and how do you have money? I guess is my real question. How do how you get money going into your bank account? What I'm trying to illustrate is you have time and I have time, but you know why I think you don't give more time? It's just theory. I can't prove it, but I'm going to tell you what I think you don't give more time to God. I think you don't give more time to God because you don't enjoy the time you already give. We should be honest for a moment. I think some of us, we give God 10 minutes and it just doesn't do a lot for us, so why would I give him 30 minutes? If I give him a 10 and it doesn't change me, why am I going to give 30? Now, let me just say something. Why does 10 minutes not give a lot for us? It's because... That 10 minutes is the most distracted 10 minutes you could possibly give. Listen to me, here's what's gonna happen. You're an American, so you're like me. You're gonna sit down with time with God and your body's gonna immediately say within the first six seconds, you need to do laundry, you need to fold laundry, we need to do laundry, we need to return emails, we need to do it right, we need to get up. We need to go do it. Take the dishes. You know, the dishes, you talk to that person, had a conversation, check the phone. Have you done an email? Have you sent that deal? Have you called that person? And then you're going to sit down and your mind's going to release every single crazy thought you've ever had. You had not had any single thought for the last 23 hours, but in this hour, every single crazy thought known to man is going to come up. And then what your feelings are going to do. Your feelings are connected to your mind, so your feelings are going to say, this doesn't work. I told you this doesn't work. Do you feel anything? They were lying. This don't fit. You feel anything? All right, I don't feel anything. Let's quit Which is, by the way, listen, if I wanted to ruin a business, you know what I would do? I would cut off its cash flow. If I wanted to ruin a relationship, I would cut off its attention. The moment you stop paying attention, the relationship's dying. The moment you move into distraction mode, the relationship gets put on the back burner. And what happens is, if you, could, if you could listen in on hell staff meetings today, here's what you would hear from demons. Give them their Bible reading plans, give them their prayer list, give them their church attendance, just distract them the whole time. They're doing it because if they can't focus, they can't receive. If I can't focus, I will never receive from God. It won't happen. So I have to focus. And listen, if I never receive, I'll never want more. So you know what that's going to do? Listen to me. I'm going to get real practical for y'all. I'm your pastor. I'm your friend for a moment helping you out. If you want to control your soul and create space, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to get there and go body. Right now, I know you want to do laundry and return emails, but we're going to sit here because we need the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. So listen to me. What you need to do is you probably need to do prayer before you do prayer. So you need to give some amount of time to allow all the flushing of your system. Best thing to do is to get a white sheet of paper and flush out everything because if you don't write it down, it'll stay in the prefrontal cortex and it'll stay there to remind you again to do it. So write it down. This is something I'm going to do later. I'm going to write it down. Allow these thoughts to begin to flow. And then, in that moment, I'm going to say, feelings you've never led me anywhere good. So you're not leading. And here's what I encourage you to do. Say it out loud. Hey, feelings, feelings, you've never led me anywhere good, anywhere godly. You're not going to lead me in this moment. Hey, mine, you need to get your act together and you're going to be renewed today until we have the same mindset that's that, therefore, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to sit here until God transforms us. We need the Spirit, we desire the Spirit, and the Spirit can do for us what nothing else can do. Now, let me give you a little tip on, on how to do that. It's something called worship. I'm telling you, some of you are underselling worship like you think we just sing because it's a warm-up. That's not why we sing. Listen to me, watch this. You ready? You're made of body, soul, and spirit. Worship is the one thing God gives you that takes all three parts of you and puts them in alignment behind your spirit. I'm going to say that again. Worship is the only thing given by God that takes body, soul, and spirit and places it in proper alignment behind the spirit of man to engage God. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. It's hard to scroll when your hands are raised. It's hard to be talking to someone else when you're exalting Him. It's hard to be racing in your mind when you're focused on exalting Him. Y'all, pathologically, they tell us, neuroscientists tell us, you can't have gratitude and anxiety existing in the same synapsis. So if I'm lifting my hands, I'm focusing on Him and de- declaring His worth, that makes me decrease and Jesus increase. And as Jesus increases, he increases my capacity to receive from him. So we're going to create the space. But listen, if you want to tarry, you've got to control your soul. Here's the number two. Second thing you've got to do is abandon your list. I'm talking about your prayer list. And become spirit led. Nothing wrong with prayer lists, but let me talk you through this a moment. Most of the time we come into prayer, most of the time we take this list. Nothing wrong with doing our list if we're doing our 15 minutes with God or 30 minutes. Nothing wrong with that. But at some point, you've got to show up unguarded. So if you have your prayer list, you're in charge of those moments. So I'm in charge of this transaction. So here I come, God, and I'm gonna lay before you my agenda, my prayer list, because here's what's gonna happen. Listen, nothing wrong. Don't miss what I'm saying with your shopping list for God but in tearing, he wants under the surface of your heart. He wants to do a deep work in these moments, and if you just settle, settle for showing up with your list, you're gonna get through your list, but you're not gonna experience his power of life changing you. There has to be a moment where you don't come with your agenda, but you let him lead. The best way to explain this is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6. These are the words of Jesus, this is what he said. He said, when you go into your room, now if you're reading your Bible, it might say closet. That's a good translation. When you go into your closet, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. All right, Pastor Craig, does this mean that Jesus is saying that I'm supposed to open my closet door, go in there, move the shoes out of the way, push the clothes back, get past the Christmas decorations, and sit there and pray because there's somehow a portal to heaven in my closet? That's Ghostbusters, not gospel. That's not what he's saying. You know what the word closet means in Greek? The word closet in Greek, go into your closet, is the word bedroom. What do you mean bedroom? The bedroom is the most intimate place in the entire house. It's where a husband and wife shut the door, lock it. If they got little kids, put something under the door (laughs) precipice. And listen to me. They bear their souls to one another and their bodies. Jesus is saying, you, hallelujah. That's right, Chris. Hallelujah. I love that. Praise the Lord. Jesus is saying, you come before the Father and you bear all of your soul. You get intimate. And your Father who sees it will reward you openly. Did you know you can show up in your time with God with your anger and he's good, he already knows it? You can show up to God in an addiction. Isn't it awesome? You can show up to God with an addiction and you don't have to say, okay God, like I've went three hours without giving into it, several days, no, he's good. You don't even have to show up to God and review all the things you did well this week. You don't even have to show up to God and believe in the time you're showing up. You can go and show up to God and say, God, Pastor Craig said do this and I have no faith in it, but I'll do it because he told me to do it, so let me try it one time and God's good with that. You can show up to God with anything you're bringing to God, and that's where true prayer begins. Not with what ought to be in you, but what is in you. That's true prayer. And it's often because we approach prayer like we do Instagram superficial, filtered to present us as the best. I don't know if God has an Instagram account or not, but I can tell you from Scripture, He's not into Instagram, He's into intimacy. Which is how we show up unguarded with our pretense and say, God, this is the most broken part of me. Are you okay with that? And He is. And can I just say for a moment, I think this is the single reason, I really prayed this for our church. This is the reason so many of you remain unhealed when it comes to inner healing. Let me explain what I mean by that. Humans are by nature, we are what we call survivors, not resolvers. What do you mean? you're going to experience trauma, rejection, criticism, resentment, I mean bitterness, people are going to do you wrong, crap on you, injustice. Here's what happens. Because we are not resolvers but survivors, what we do is we go and we begin to take those emotions and we push them and press them and they just go back in files and files and files and you just refocus on the present and you call it moving forward. What happens is those suppressions, we think somehow that stuff disappears. It does, and what happens, it begins to subconsciously influence all your your behavior, the decisions, like some of you, I know this because it happens to me and it happens when I'm counseling. People are angry in this season and there's no reason to hourly be angry. And you're angry because of the suppression of something that happened 14 years ago. So you can be anxious. So sometimes anxiety runs through your body. Cortisol levels are crazy high. You wake up in the morning, you, your chief operating officer in your system is called anxiety. And it just kind of runs low, low default at all times. And in that moment, you look around, you think, I got nothing to be anxious about. The reason being is because maybe there's something in my past that I've suppressed for so long that's giving rise to that anxiety. Listen to me, y'all. Here's what I'm saying. The question is not, do we need to be healed? (laughs) If I can be honest with you, I can't stand that question. Do you need to be healed? Yes, you need to be healed. You're human. The question is, who's going to do the healing? Are you going to be responsible for your healing? And if you are, let me just tell you what you've got to gear up to do, okay? Your human brain in your body right now has a storage capacity of 2.5 million gigs. That's what your brain holds. Let me tell you what one gig holds. One gig, you've got 250 million. One gig holds 640 images, 230 songs, and 19,200 Word documents. One gig. You've got 2.5 million. I just don't know how you're going to get through all the memories that would take you 10 lifetimes to sift through. And how did this take place and what happened there? Because you got piles upon piles and piles. And I bring that up because Romans 8.27 says, The Holy Spirit searches the heart of a man. Here's what that means. The Holy Spirit has the unique ability to travel at lightning speed through your neurological pathways. And He can pinpoint the hurtful memory that's actually subconsciously supporting your addiction, subconsciously supporting your anger or anxiety. And He can heal in a moment what you wouldn't be able to even find in 10 lifetimes. So if you can do that, then take off on your healing. But if you need the Holy Spirit to heal, good thing He's open. If He's allowed to lead. Can I just say something? You're never going to find that on your prayer list. You will never go to the Lord with your 15 things and pinpoint the thing that the Holy Spirit wants to heal. It ain't going to happen. So it takes you coming before the Lord and saying, God, what do you want to speak to me about today, Holy Spirit? See the difference? That's that's no pretense. That's that's unguarded. Here's the last one. You have to stay and receive the strength you need. All right, this is to me the most mind blowing scripture. And if you allow me to have a personal moment with how mind blowing it is, Jesus comes to the disciples. Kobe, would you come and just play? He comes to these 12 disciples. And he says, all right, you 12, actually you 11. Judas went off by himself. He said, you guys hadn't shown a ton of promise. I'm not sure you could run the most simple restaurant joint. But I'm going to entrust you to launch the church which will be the hope of the world. Sounds like a bad deal for Jesus, doesn't it? so they have a little staff meeting, and Peter goes, oh, you don't, you know, Jesus, don't worry about it, I already talked to a marketing firm about, we're working on some data analysis right now, we signed up for Asana, so that everybody in the organization here can go ahead and begin to work on our project board, and, and so what we've done is we've communicated, we've added, we've got some ads, the ads are going to go out through TikTok and Instagram, and all of your social media outlet, and so we're good, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, in fact, what we're going to do, I went off last week, Jesus, and prepared an org chart, I'm, of course, at the top, you know, you need me at the top of the org chart, and so the org chart is ready, I got some new staff we're going to use the rich women that follow Jesus we're going to use their money and we're going to get some new staff and we're going to build this thing called the church Jesus don't you worry about it and Jesus is like oh (laughs) Peter 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 boy do I love you but I can't wait till the Holy Spirit comes and fixes all that would you sit down for a moment here's what we're going to do he says guys there's one thing I need you to do everybody say one thing He said one thing. We're not going to hire nobody. We're not going to org chart nobody. We're not going to any leadership conferences. We're not marketing. We're not advertising. Listen, we're doing one thing. I need you to just do one thing. If you'll do one thing, all's going to be okay. Luke 24 and 49. He said, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But you what? Here's the only command. And it's the command for you today. You do what? Come on, help me with that word. Tarry, stay in His presence. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't go get marketing. Don't get somebody else. Don't look for some other book. You stay and you tarry in my. Let me tell you, Mama and Daddy, this morning. What your kids need is an authentic expression of what it means to follow Jesus. And the only way you're going to give them that is when what happens in your home happens at the church, and what happens in your conversation is what's happening at home. And when you get to a place where your authentic expression of tarrying in His presence, you'll be at the dinner table in the spirit of the living God will give you a word to speak to your kid in the spirit of the living God will give you discernment of who what and what person they're hanging out with on the weekends he says I've got one thing for you I want you to tarry in my presence and here's the next word until well how long until the joy comes well how long do I have to say Craig until the peace comes well what do you mean? Until Here's what I think. I think many of you do your Bible reading plan. You're in connect group ministry. You're growing, but you still don't have the victory you want. And can I just propose maybe it's because you hadn't found your until. Until whatever is needed is provided. You wait until. Lord, I'm going to wrestle with you. Until. What if that's the key you're missing? You're Until. Best way I can explain this is through hot tea. Any of you like hot tea? Hot tea good, isn't it? Going into the fall and the winter. I go in little seasons where I drink more tea than other times. So nice little dwelling place mug, right? Got our little sweeteners. Y'all know how tea works, right? All right, that didn't sound too good. So let me tell you how tea works, okay? So what you do is you take hot water from a kettle or wherever you warmed up, and what you're gonna do is you're gonna pour your hot water into your mug that's what you do and then what we do is we're going to take some pour in maybe some of y'all add a little things like milk some of you a little cream some of y'all you get your little sugars you're halfway healthy so you get stevie instead of sweet and love maybe you get your little sugar in the raw you get your little eco packets and you put it in and then here's what you do you grab your tea bag and you drop it in the water but but I just want to point out something I don't like weak tea Especially if I'm drinking sleepy time tea. I like strong tea. Here's the thing you got to know about tea. The water is not where the strength of the tea comes from. Hey, what you put in there, your ability, your competency, your sweetener, your sugar, is not where the strength of the tea comes from. Hey, your mug does not dictate strength of the tea. There's only one thing that dictates the strength of that tea. And that is the Time. You give for the tea bag to drop in the water that what's in it changes what it's been put into. Woo! This is the problem. Some of y'all wondering why you don't see the power of God. You want to know why? Because you dip into service two times a month. Some of y'all don't see the power of God because you dip into your prayer language once every blue moon. Some of y'all don't see the power of God in your homes because you just dip into the presence of God every now and again. If you just dip, let me tell you something, mom and dad, you ain't going to raise godly kids in a godless culture by dipping in every now and again. You got to get your family. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Uh, We're not going to dip. I'm not going to dip and then let my child see something different at home than what's happening in the church world. And then I wonder why they move away because you've just been dipping. At some point, you're going to have to get your tea bag, your life, your family, your reality and you're going to have to get it submerged into the work of God's Spirit. You're going to have to spend time with Him. You want a godly marriage? Listen to me. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to make an authoritative statement. You will not have a godly marriage in 21st century America if you dip into the things of God. It will not happen. There's really no hope. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to, I want to tell you clearly, I wish I could make decisions for people. It will not happen if you dip. It won't happen. So this week I spent some time with the Lord and I just was overwhelmed because I started thinking about how many people in this church you are so capable and so, God's added so much to your life and you're talented and you know how to work it all together. and you got an amazing talent and gift, and you got awesome competency, but you still are weak. It's because this doesn't add flavor. This determines strength. How long? How much time? I started thinking about this week and it just messed me up. Because I, sometimes what happens in ministries, you get so myopic because you're just doing problem solving every day. And I just pulled back one night this week and I just started thinking about how much my life has transformed since meeting Jesus. I mean, like two totally different people. And I started thinking, well, you know, when I was 16, I got the keys to the church, and it was not uncommon for me. Several nights a week to go into the church, turn on the worship music. Nobody was there with me, wasn't playing prayer, and i just tarry with the Lord. Then I went off to college, and it wasn't very uncommon for me to get in my car. I'd turn music on, I'd tarry with the Lord for a couple of hours. I had blocks between my classes at Lee, and so I'd go in. Instead of playing ping pong, I'd get in my dorm room and tarry before the Lord. And Listen, y'all, for me, it's not like I'm better. I just knew that I needed Him. And God reminded me of that this week. You know what He said to me? He said... I'm using you, Craig, because you just gave me the time to work with. You just gave me enough time. You got to understand. I know you have gifts and abilities, but how much time does he have? I'm so thirsty for him. You have to get to the point where you say, you know what, I want something more than just religious exercises. Listen, if you just want devotion time, just tell him. But I'm going to tell you, if you want power, it ain't going to be just, I want my devotion. There has to be time. Engagement. tearing, Hungering. Well, Craig, how long? Until. I need His peace, so I'll tarry until I find His strength. If I want God to do a work in my life, I will tarry until He comes. There's no other way around it. Now listen to me, I want to conclude by telling you, when you get in your Holy Bible, which is a supernatural product, an engineering product of the Holy Spirit, you take the Bible, and I want you to think just for a moment just how supernatural God, by His leadership, put together the Scriptures. You know, many people spend more time on social media than they do in the Scriptures, right? That's easy. People spend more time reading blogs than they do in the Scripture. You know, your Bible setting in your lap right now, is 66 books written over 1,500 years. Do you understand how long 1,500 years is? If I go back 1,500 years from right now, we're at 523 AD, there's not even been a British empire yet. 1,500 years, 66 books written by 40 authors, three different continents, three different languages. Who are our authors? We got kings, we got prisoners, we got soldiers, we got military men, we got shepherds, we got farmers, we got a physician, we got a tax collector who's a mafia guy. You put all those together over 1,500 years. How many of them lived in different generations and don't even know what the other guy wrote? But you put them all together and you get a perfectly harmonized book, y'all. That's like looking at 40 different authors over 1,500 years and saying, right, one chapter of a novel. Put the all of the chapters together and make sense of that one novel. If you look at the Old Testament, I was thinking. 39 books written over 1,100 years. And the last book of the Old Testament is written 400 years before Jesus is even born. It's called Malachi. Y'all go back 400 years from now. There's no Atlanta Braves. No Atlanta Falcons. There's no America. Pilgrims just got on the ship 400 years ago. And there's that much time between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. You've got 39 books written over 1,100 years, many of them living in different generations. You know what these guys did? Over 1,100 years, they made predictions about the Messiah. They said things like he'd ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He'd be betrayed by a friend. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be called out of Egypt. He would be sell, sold for 30 pieces of silver. And the last, there's 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. And the last one was written 400 years before Jesus is even born. And can I tell you, Jesus fulfilled all 300 of those predictions. So there's a scientist, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. He's now with the Lord. His name is Dr. Peter Stoner. He's gone, gone to heaven, but he's an expert in probability. And so several years ago, I read his book. He, he studies probability. You know what probability is. You got a bit white bucket. You got nine white balls. You got one yellow tennis ball. You blindfold somebody, they got a one in 10 chance of picking up the yellow tennis ball. He just had this, this experience. He said, I want to see what the probability of one person fulfilling any of these prophecies. And so he got 600 science students from 12 different classes. They did hours of research. And the, the American National Scientific Council said and when they reviewed their work, not only was it accurate, but it was conservative. And here's what they said. They said, what are the chances of one man born over 2,000 years to fulfill just eight of those prophecies? So from the time of Jesus to 2,000, what is that? And here's the prophecies they said. He gave eight of them. Christ is to be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah. Christ is to be preceded by a messenger. Malachi. Christ is to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah. All the other eight. There's the rest of those eight. How, what are the likelihoods of one person over 2,000 years fulfilling those prophecies? I'm going to give it to you. He found that it's 1 and 10 to the 17th power. Now what in the world is that? 10? Right, one with 17 more zeros. Y'all, I don't have an engin- engineering degree, but that's not even what we call gazillion bazillion. But I can illustrate that number. If I had that many silver dollars, one to the 17th power, and I couldn't hold them anywhere on earth I would have to spread them out over the ground and if I do that and have that many silver dollars I could spread them out over the whole ground of Texas two feet deep with those silver dollars now I want you to mark one of those and the silver dollars shuffle them all up redistribute them all over Texas blindfold a guy in Oklahoma put him in a helicopter fly him over the state of Texas it takes two days to drive Texas he picks any moment of any time of that helicopter drops out of the helicopter gets in that two feet of silver dollars and he reaches down and grabs the very single silver dollar that you marked That's what it would be like for one person to fulfill eight of the prophecies. Well, Stoner didn't stop there. He said, what would happen if one person fulfilled 16 of those prophecies? He said, okay, it would be one to the 45th power. That's one with 45 zeros behind it. Don't even ask me to write that number. Now, listen, if I had a silver dollar, now it's not just filling the state of Texas. I got to make a sphere of silver dollars. If that sphere of silver dollars would be 60 times the distance of the earth to the sun, if you want mileage, it's 5.5 billion miles. Now mark one of those silver dollars, shuffle him up, a guy, put him on a jet plane. It's gonna take 400 years to go nonstop around that whole ball of silver dollars. Drop him off at any moment. He drops onto the silver or ball. He has to travel maybe 2.75 billion miles inside of the ball or sphere. And he picks up one single silver dollar. And that's the likelihood of one man over 2,000 years fulfilling 16 of those prophecies. Well, Stoner wasn't good with that. He says, you know what? Why don't we just see what would happen if you had 48 prophecies? Well, you know what that is? That's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Now, folks, we can't use silver dollars anymore. We gotta go to the small electron. You know what electrons are? If I had one inch of electrons right here and I start counting one inch of electrons, I could count 250 per minute. It would take me 19 million years to count one inch of electrons, 19 million years. And listen, that's as far as man has ever seen into space. 13 billion light years, mark those electrons. You get 13 billion light years of electrons. You get one man flying out into space, stop him at any moment. He reaches down and grabs the one single electron. And that's the probability of one man fulfilling 48 of the prophecies. Jesus didn't fulfill 48. He fulfilled all 300 of them. Why? 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 Because the Bible is a product of the Holy Spirit's authorship. If you realize that precision, I think you can trust Him to lead your life. He might be trustworthy. If you can trust him to lead a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night in the wilderness, you can trust him to lead you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.